Hi, this is Father Andrew, and this is the All Souls Catechesis podcast. Uh, this year for Catechesis, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope. And we're hearing from members of our community about where they found hope in this last year. Today, we have with us Bruce Knowlton. Um, Bruce, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you? Ah, I've been at All Souls from uh, Sunday one and, and before. Uh, and to me, one of the greatest joys of our community is uh, even now, I see faces that I don't recognize hmm. you know, uh, as new people join us. That's, that, that's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, otherwise, I'm, what, I'm, a, I'm a father of three children uh, and been so grateful for our All Souls community. And even in these, in these difficult times, it's been a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's just a real thrill to be able to, to share a little bit about what brings me hope in these times. Yeah. So you, you called your, your week, uh, what was it, the Bible back from the wars? Yes. Um, <laughs> to, to, tell us about let that. Me, well, let, me, let, me start, let me start with, a, a, a let me start with my own story Yeah. and then I'll tell you what, what, what that means. Uh. Uh, like like many of us, I grew up in a very evangelical home. Uh, one of the great things from that upbringing was a real reverence for Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's like Scripture is the main action. This is the main thing that God's left for us here. Everything is tested against Scripture, mm-hmm. and that's that's wonderful. Uh, what I didn't know was that I was born into the middle of a war over mm-hmm. Scripture. Uh, for centuries, people didn't have to give much thought to what by the Bible is, uh, and, and how it works, how it functions. And then, oh, it, at least in the 1800s earlier to be sure, but, you know, starting there, people mm-hmm. start, right. All of a sudden we have access to other ancient Middle Eastern documents. Oh, look, Genesis is just another creation myth. Mm-hmm. And Oh, look, Jesus was just another insurrection leader in the Middle East. See, this, we just randomly glommed onto these particular stories and, and ran with them as if they were something special, but they're not. Yeah. And then the reaction on the fundamentalist side was not to say, no, you're reading it wrong. It was to say, oh, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, and so I was born into this raging war over what the Bible is, how it works. And uh, I've, I found that uh, it's time to declare the war over and neither side won. They were both wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to go there just yet. First, my own story. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up with a very strong sense that uh, I should be reading and getting something out of scripture. And Lord knows I tried. I tried really hard, uh, especially when I was a teenager. That was my last major push. And you know what? I could not make heads or tails out of it. Uh, reading it the way I was taught to read, to understand it, I thought there is no way I can get from here, what I'm seeing in, in the Bible, mm-hmm. to there, what everyone assures me I should believe, and it's what the Bible says. I mm-hmm. could not make that connection. And uh, I wasn't exactly biblically illiterate. I went to a Christian high school and had all these uh, uh, New Testament, Old Testament survey courses. I mean, I, I really knew the Bible. Yeah. And yet I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Uh, I go through the Old Testament and who are these, all these peoples they're referring to? And uh, what, what relevance does this story? This seems to be all about Israel and I'm not even a Jew. Right. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, and then uh, in the New Testament, uh, the main thing is I have to accept Jesus as my personal savior. Wonderful. Uh, I do. But I can't even find Jesus never said that. Right. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do with this? Yeah. And uh, oh, and in college, I took those same courses and that started to become a bit helpful. This was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't as helpful as some of those same courses at the same college would be today. Mm-hmm. and uh and so i gave up uh and uh that's a, that sounds like an awful confession to make but so many uh souls have confessed to me over the years 
you know, I just, I don't get it. I, I try to read the Bible. Uh, and, uh, but no, I, I, like you, I can't make that, that leap from what's on the text to understanding how that's relevant to my life and how it connects with the things that I've been taught. And I believe mm -hmm. that's, uh, so. That's uh, interesting. The, the idea that like, you felt like you could like, you knew what you were supposed to believe, but you couldn't get out of the Bible. And if I'm hearing you right, it's like, well, okay, I'll still believe those things, but I just won't spend a lot of time with the Bible. Like the theology stuck, but I, the, the Bible reading didn't. Is yeah, that right? yeah. Uh, a lot of the theology made good sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time in the liberal mainline mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, that was really nice because they didn't worry about what the Bible said. There's kind of, the, the tacit assumption there then was, yeah, we don't do what those fundamentalists do and try to have it all make sense in a particular way. It's just whatevs. It's kind of a Rorschach. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, re we read it in our services and then we just kind of bounce off that, whatever the heck we want. Right. Uh, now, that wasn't a good place to live for a long time, but that was actually Im immensely healing. Hmm. Uh, but... Uh, ultimately not tenable. What I did was I pursued graduate studies in historical theology. So I think, okay, maybe I need to immerse myself in the whole of our interpretive tradition. Mm -hmm. And out of that, some glorious picture will emerge. Mm -hmm. And it didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the church history, as you know, is a junior high food fight of ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and so, no, it was, no, it was wonderful. I will continue doing that all my life, but mm -hmm. it, it didn't help me understand the Bible. And so basically the war that I was born into, there were two, I was left with two different ways of looking at the Bible. One was it all has to make sense to us modern people the way us modern people read texts. Mm -hmm. And therefore everything is literally true because none of it is myth or fiction or a poetic or poetic illusion. Mm -hmm. It's all, you can read it the same way you read your newspaper. Well, I found I couldn't. And then as I've already alluded uh, on the, on the more liberal side, it was relax. It doesn't matter what it actually means. It just kind of, gets you going and you take it from there yeah <laughs> and <laughs> it's a swell so, starting place but like we've yeah. we've learned a few things since then yeah we, so yeah we, we we're not naive like that and to, to think this actually matters yeah. <laughs> and like those uh, foolish ancient near eastern people who thought that people actually could raise from the dead right we know how yeah. death works a little bit better now no than a, yeah so never mind that they were a lot closer to death than we right are. right <laughs> they were pretty they, familiar with death actually i think they understood <laughs> how death works <laughs> uh and uh one of the one of the great joys then of the last several years is uh i've done something that not everyone can or should do mm -hmm. and i've become a biblical scholarship geek and I'm not going to lay a bunch of scholarship on people here because uh, uh, we have people who can do that a lot better. I'm just going to share what I've learned from my own journey. Yeah. But the thing that gives me hope is, whoa, the Bible is, it's not what I was raised to think it is. Mm -hmm. It's also not what the liberals taught me it was. Yeah. It's something else entirely. And it is wonderful. It's deep. And being able to read it has brought me great hope. Mm -hmm. So I am, uh, I am a huge uh, biblical cheerleader now <laughs> in a way that I've never been before. And if anyone else out there is, uh, has had any of these struggles, and those of you who grew up in evangelical homes, spent a lot of time in the Episcopal Church, which I love dearly, mm -hmm. by the way, uh, you, you can identify with some aspects of what I'm talking about. But what I found here, what I've distilled from this is I found like, like three wrong rules that I learned for reading the Bible. And then one big idea that has helped me understand what the Bible is and how it actually mm -hmm. works. 
All right. Uh, so uh, uh, wrong rule number one that I learned was that the Bible needs no interpretation. <laughs> you can just understand it by yourself. Just go read your Bible. And, you know, the church has always had a, 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 a strange relationship with, uh, with the Bible that way. Uh, uh, I, I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and when I was a little kid, in recent living memory, actually in a little small town that I lived in briefly, uh, the, they had gathered up Bibles in the town square, which is always right in front of the Catholic Church there, mm -hmm. and burned them, oh. because uh, this was uh, why everyone knows the Bible is sacred writs for priests to read. It's not understandable by just anyone, <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's a and so Protestants have gone around distributing Bibles. That's a great sin. You shouldn't be mucking around with stuff that's above your pay grade. Right. Absolutely. Here's my Bible. Let's burn it in the square. Mm -hmm. uh, only a few years later in Sao Paulo, hang, there were huge banners hanging off all the viaducts uh, put up by the archdiocese. Read your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, evangelicals and mainline Protestants are not the only ones who have struggled with this. Yeah, but it needs no interpretation. You can understand it all by yourself. And uh, the fact is, you can't. Here's why: it's ancient. It's mm -hmm. from a different culture. We don't have the wherewithal to just read it and go, oh, that's what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it can't be done. And it's a, uh, we, we do ourselves a great disservice when we, th we think we can. Uh, a book that you don't have to bother reading, but I'd highly recommend. Anyhow, is it Christian Smith, The Bible Made Impossible? He's a sociologist. Mm -hmm. And he's just observing that among all these people who say the Bible needs interpret no interpretation. All I'm doing is just reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. Look at the thousands of different interpretations. Of yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, this isn't a theological point I'm arguing. It's just common sense. You can look around you and see, yeah, yeah, that's the case. Clearly yeah. it needs interpret and any text needs interpretation. The thing is we interpret stuff around us all the time. When I turn right. on the news, I interpret it, but I have the equipment to interpret it because I'm living in the here and now and they're addressing me in the here and now. Yeah. And we make the, con the connection. They say stuff, I understand what they're saying. Not so when we go to read uh, a text that has roots going back thousands of years. Yeah, I once heard it described as you're reading somebody else's mail. Like you're, you're opening yeah. up somebody else's mail. I mean, in some cases, literally someone else's letters. And I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget um, when I was doing my graduate work at Wheaton, we at one point in um, our Reformation class were invited up to the Billy Graham archives where they have all these wonderful old texts and they have a copy of um, the Geneva Bible, which is a sort of mm -hmm. just shortly after the Reformation translation into English. And in the cover, there is this little flow chart and it's an interpret it's an interpretive flow chart like, OK, I read the Bible and I'm thinking this thing. Let's run it through these rubrics. Does it disagree with the creeds? You probably read it wrong. Did you do? And it's sort of like yeah. at it through these mm -hmm. because because at the advent of the Reformation, they translated suddenly the Bible's in the vernacular for everybody. And then people quickly discover like, oh no, what have we done? <laughs> There's like mm -hmm. a peasant's revolt in Germany because they've been reading the text in a particular yeah. way, which actually we might read it in the same way as the peasants. Right. But Luther has to but, go but, like, but it wasn't no, the no, official no. way. <laughs> right. Luther yeah. has to go like, no, 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 don't rebel against your kings. They're kind of keeping me alive right now. I would like mm -hmm. you to keep, right? So <laughs> there is just this funny... Like yeah. as soon as it was handed into the into the vernacular, almost yeah. immediately there was this like, hold on a second, it it can't mean exactly what you think it means. Like you need a little bit of work to understand. Yeah, yeah. First century and, and that's the thing. In, in our own uh, Anglican tradition, we have a wonderful thing where we said, hey, we're going to put the Bible into everyone's hands. But note that back in England at the time of the Reformation, that that did not mean. Uh, that they didn't do that. So yeah, anyone can come up with their own interpretation. Mm. No, the interpretation, this text still had to be interpreted and there was an official interpretation and you could get burned at the stake if you strayed right. too far from it. I'm, I'm glad we, that's no longer part of our tradition. Certainly. Uh, uh, I don't want to be fun, in charge of that. Yeah. As much fun as that would be. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so what I do practically, I read the Bible now with tons of notes I've got a table for here, commentaries open. Mm -hmm. 
uh, several different translations because, hey, like I'm bilingual. I know how different stuff is in translation. It just plain yeah. is. Yeah. So uh, you, you, you got to, you, you should at least look at a couple different translations to start to get a more fuller orbed idea of what mm-hmm. text might mean. And, uh, and you, you've got to have all that historical context and what did this expression mean to people back mm-hmm. then? What, what, what kind of literature is this we're looking at? Which gets to my next bad rule. And that is the Bible is all the same. You can read every single passage the exact same way. You just read it. Well, I was thought you just read it as if it's uh, written to you for you, like it's a news, like it's a newspaper report. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where we get into some really difficult stuff because it's not just that it's not even just that some books are different genres of literature than others. That's the popular mm-hmm. scholarly term. Yeah, but it's all just plain different. Just the book of Genesis contains myth some attempts at history uh some stories that are based on some historical memory Mm -hmm. but you can't just read them all uh as if they were a factual account the way a contemporary person would try to put it together the authors were not even trying to do that that was not their intent they knew what they were doing it's just that what they were doing is not what we're insisting they had to have been doing Mm -hmm. uh uh, and hey, you, you start right right with uh, Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's actually pretty dang straightforward. Right. So <laughs> we don't need to worry about whether or not God created the heavens or the earth. That's laid out there pretty quick. But right away, we're into poetry. We're into poetry mm-hmm. about why God made the world. Where uh, we're not looking at an account of how the material of creation came to be. Right. It's that it, there, there was no intent to ever tell us that that's not what they were thinking about. It's not what they were. Uh, and I love that when you, when you read it that way, then we see, Oh, we're reading an ancient near Eastern creation myth, but this one has some really cool twists to it. Mm-hmm. It is full of meaning. I love, for example, that, uh, okay. Every other creation myth, the, the God that we worship uh, had to defeat the forces of chaos, the chaos monsters, and is just barely holding them in check. Yeah. We get kind of nonchalantly there that, oh, God made Leviathan. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and what's I think what's valuable is you're using the term myth here, but myth doesn't, we sometimes use the word myth as that's untrue. Yes. Actually, something, myth can be very true, but just in a way different from, yeah. again, a news report. And what I what I'm trying to what I try to explain to my own children is that that passage is not a news report about how the world got made. I mm-hmm. mean, and this is not new or controversial. Actually, Augustine said the same thing. Right. He said, "Well, obviously, the world wasn't made in six days. There were no days to to be had." <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> so this is this has only become controversial more recently in history. Mm-hmm. Before, no one would have, but it's, it's not a news account of how the world was made. It's a poem about why God made us, why God made the world. Which is actually a more important question than how. Much because more. that tells us something about who God is, who we are, the, the, real, right. the real questions are getting answered there. Right. And, and whether, whether or not God created the universe is just is not even a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's assumed from the beginning it's there in verse one yeah uh you know but get more problematical here maybe uh the exodus Mm -hmm. it doesn't appear to have happened quite the way uh it it, it's laid out in the book of exodus if that were a historical account Mm. uh the numbers of people involved probably not because we can't find any evidence of it in that dry desert where nothing ever decomposes for you know millennia right uh, there's there's not the typical sorts of things that we would find in egypt if it had happened quite that way mm-hmm. uh but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean it's fake it's it's clearly based on some historical memory uh and biblical scholarship actually helps us get at this oh 
there are all kinds of Egyptian turns of phrase in there. Clearly, these people spent some time in Egypt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but my point here is not to get you to believe one thing or another about the Exodus and how many people were involved and when it happened. My point here is that the, the story opens up all kinds of other riches to us. Yeah. Uh, believe what you will about the Exodus itself. Don't, don't miss the main action. Just as uh, in Genesis, the poem about why God made the world made us, that's the important thing. Uh, yeah. Material creation of the world is a done deal, precious little we can do about it. Uh, <laughs> well, and that, our relationship to God, on the other hand. Uh, uh, that's a real question. That's a real thing to be dealt with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, maybe you're going to get to this, this later, but it already mm -hmm. makes me realize as you're, the way you're talking about uh, Genesis and Exodus, this idea that sort of both sides in the, the modernist debate about scripture were wrong um, that initially there's this school that says, well, actually we're learning history and none of that stuff happened. And the mm -hmm. sort of people who wanted to champion the Bible, their reaction granted the premise that we can, yeah. that the Bible should be doing this historical work. So mm -hmm. it's like, you think the Bible's not historical. We're going to prove exactly how historical is rather than saying, you're just asking the wrong questions. Cause yeah. the questions you're asking in the, you know, 18th, 19th right. century, like the, the biblical authors didn't, didn't care about those questions. Right. Um, and let's and be clear, there are other parts, there, there are other parts of the, of, the, of the Bible that are indeed historical. Yeah. And for me, for me, where it all culminates is in the life of Jesus and specifically in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul said, you know, if the resurrection, no, no, where this is not just another version of the myth of the dying God. Yeah. If, uh, if it didn't happen, it's game over. We can all go home. Mm -hmm. But again, my point here is not that the Bible is not historical. It's that it's a whole mix of history and, uh, and, and, and folklore based on some historical memory and uh, an outright uh, poetic myth, which was, again, not, some, not a lie that someone made up. Rather, it's a, a series right. of beautiful images that someone made up in order to help us understand really big, difficult, important things. Yeah, it's, it's all of those things. And we need to get some sophistication in understanding that hmm. it's not rocket science. Uh, I don't know, pick a commentary. Yeah, and it'll, it'll, it'll get you most of the way there. Or pick a good study Bible and it'll get you yeah. most yeah. of the way there. Yeah. Uh, and then. And so that kind of leads my third bad rule. Okay, at first, this is going to sound like complete heresy. Just just hear me out. <laughs> Uh, the, the big buzzword when I grew up was inerrancy. The Bible has no mistakes in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was this, this reaction to, to contemporary biblical scholarship. Hey, look, the Bible's riddled with mistakes. And instead of saying, oh, you're reading it wrong, or, you know, it's not trying to be mistake free, or that's okay, we say, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> We're going to twist our mind into pretzel shapes to show that there's... Yep. And the whole inerrancy scheme uh, just doesn't work. I spent many years trying to read the Bible that way. And uh, you know what? It's, it's okay. Uh, here's a funny thing. I mean, look at, for example, uh, we have two different histories of Israel in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, the facts don't all line up neatly. And, and then... And they both put a very different spin on what happened. Yeah. And, and that's intentional. Again, if we insist that, well, it's inerrant, therefore we have to make all the little facts line up, we're going to miss. What did they do here? They, here's, here's the one set of history. Here's our received history. And uh, now the exiles happened. And, oh, boy, we have to rethink everything that happened to us. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back and rethink it. What did they do? Throw out the old one? No. They kept them there side by side. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was a that was a decision that a whole bunch of people made, and uh, and I think greatly to our benefit. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm not going to worry about whether the facts all line up. I'm really interested in what does it mean to look at one story and then relook at it again. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and so in. Um there's a class I took at Wheaton called historiography. So it's sort of the talking about the discipline of being a historian. 
Mm-hmm. And this book, and I'm sure I've referenced it in sermons and other times, but this, this metaphor struck me so hard that I always come back to it. Um, there's a book called The Landscape of History by a guy named John Gaddis. And he says, his whole thing is all history is like cartography. Every historian is trying to draw a map of the coastline of England. Mm-hmm. And no one who draws a map draws a one-for-one scale map. They always are choosing which details to share, which details not to share. Any historian always knows more things than what they've written down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so everybody who writes a history is saying, what is the most faithful map I can draw for the person looking at the coastline of England? But I'm obviously, but when you, draw your map, you might draw it a little bit differently. You might choose other details to draw your line. It's like a scatter plot, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's not even, even doing history proper, not even biblical interpretation, but like doing history proper is right. a process of trying to tell an accurate, faithful story and different people are going to tell the story a little bit differently. Yes, which um, gets back to every, everything we read requires interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're, we're better, we're set up to totally totally vibe with some texts or mm-hmm. some information that we get and and we're not set up with others and so we gotta say with yeah that's yeah. uh that's the thing even history is an exact science what does this mean then oh i can't trust the bible uh well uh where i come down on this is it, it this get this cuts to the very essence of faith mm-hmm. our faith what is faith uh i i kind of got the I mistakenly got the idea growing up and I, I can't lay all this at the feet of the people who taught me that faith was somehow, Oh, I have to believe I have just conjuring within myself mm-hmm. through sheer willpower to believe stuff for which there's just no evidence. In fact, there's evidence against that. That's not what faith is. Faith is trust in God. Yeah. And, uh, and likewise uh, in the Bible, I trust God and uh and yes, I do believe the Bible. I, I don't just say, you know what, it's all just a nice group of stories, a good starting point, and I can think whatever I want about. I'm not, I have to, I have to do the hard work of studying. I have to really delve in to understand it. I have to look at how other people have understood it. I have to look at, at history, other texts around there. I don't, I don't look directly at them. Scholars do that. I look mm-hmm. at what, I look at what they've said about it. Yeah. Uh, and oh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm equipping myself. Now, lest this all sound very intellectual, and I'm saying you can't understand the Bible unless you mm-hmm. do a bunch of intellectual work. Right. Uh, yeah, in our day and age, that that's actually kind of true. I'm, all I'm going to say is it's not it's not intellectual work beyond an average person. Mm-hmm. I I geek out, but you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, I have noticed in my life there are people who without access to any of these intellectual resources, scholarly resources, Mm -hmm. they have been reading the Bible all their lives and they become so steeped in its internal world, in its mindset Mm -hmm. that uh, they do a pretty darn good job of coming to understand it. Yeah. So uh, at some point they kind of turn the corner. Oh, you know, that rule that I learned, I guess it doesn't work, but here's some stuff that's standing out to me in the text that makes good sense. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think generally uh, we live in a very anti-intellectual age, anti-intellectual culture, and a lot of our religion has picked up on that. So mm-hmm. I do want to fl- wave the flag of doing the intellectual work, but uh, that's actually not the only way. And I want to be honest about that and encouraging yeah. about that too. And I think some of that comes with comes with long form reading. I feel like being steeped in the text is the people mm-hmm. that I'm impressed by are the ones who like they're reading the whole thing and they're just sitting down and reading giant yes. chunks of scripture because there's a way that even in an even in a somewhat anti-intellectual era, there's this, well, if you mine down and look at all the individual words and just look at one verse at a time, and there's this weird dissecting approach to scripture um, mm-hmm. that is imitating this like a scholarly method um but instead of of that just saying like read read all of one of paul's letters like don't just read a chapter like sit down take it'll only take you 20 minutes to read all of colossians but read the whole thing a couple times like for a whole week 
just read that mm-hmm. one letter over and over again. There's something about the steeping. Um, yes. Uh, that, or, you know, one of our colleagues read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest that mm-hmm. like does some, does some real work in that like stewing in it. Yeah. Because, and uh, I think we're, so arguably one of the ways I went wrong as a teenager is I read it all through once, maybe twice mm-hmm. and say, this doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make sense the way I was told it should make sense in the, in the mm-hmm. way that I was told it should make sense. So I gave up. Yeah. Uh, see what, what happens with either of the, the, the two losing sides of the war <laughs> is they're ultimately reduced to just uh, kind of yada yada over most of scripture and every once in a while, just sort of cherry picking saying, uh, you know, so I'm reading through here and it, it, it sounds like a Monty Python parody to me. You know, who did bring the tenth day come to the house of Rashomon? I have no <laughs> idea what that is. I, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. Oh, I like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll cross stitch that and put it on my wall. Right. But I've missed the whole context and the whole richness and depth mm-hmm. of the story. And I just, uh, so. Now you're alienating evangelicals and cross stitchers. You're just and cross it. I've, I've, I've alienated, yeah, mainline liberals, <laughs> evangelicals, and uh, yeah, yeah, and people who put word art on their walls are next. Right. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, so what I want to say was, okay, so how how do I understand what the what the Bible is, how it functions? Mm-hmm. And I've said, like, I've gone the I've gone the intellectual study route because there's so many easy resources available to us today. I don't think we have any excuse not to do some of that. Sure. Like I said, uh, you've, you've, you've got study Bibles and uh, all sorts of things, which is a great place to start. But what I found is I had to fundamentally retool how I understood what the Bible is. Hmm. Uh, and so I kind of hit on one big idea here. Uh, so we've talked about the various seeming contradictions there are, two different versions of history. Uh, look at the way the people in the New Testament quote the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're being very playful and poetic and elusive. And sometimes they're alluding to the whole story that a passage refers to, and other times they're just completely ignoring it. Yeah. And <laughs> and and coming up with and and so I just as an aside, I had to relearn that uh, when something New Testament says you know, it's happened in accordance with the scriptures, that doesn't mean, oh, see, here was proof. He is the chosen one. It's like a bad mm-hmm. movie. You know? uh, here's your, and here's your logical proof of it because it was foretold thousands of years earlier. It's like, it's like, no, that's a way of saying, yeah, isn't this kind of how God thinks, how God works? Mm-hmm. Uh, because here's something that we saw happen in our day today that we're writing about in the New Testament. And boy, it sure, it fits this kind of thought pattern. The suffering servant of Yahweh and Isaiah is not some sort of a, an isolated prophecy of Jesus. It had a completely different meaning within that Isaiah yeah. text. Yeah. And yet, uh, and yet when Jesus came along, people said, yeah, that reminds us so much of that passage in Isaiah. So Isaiah is not a proof uh, that Jesus was the chosen one. It is, however, oh, there is a great image that helps us to understand what Jesus was about. Yeah. Uh, But but again, it doesn't all cohere logically. It's very elusive and poetic. Speaking of Isaiah, you know, it seems like that's kind of, it's it's got layers of, of two, maybe three different writers in it. Mm-hmm. who came along and said, well, yes, but, <laughs> and kind of tacked on some more. <laughs> uh, and I like that word playful to describe it too. Like there is, yeah. there is something fun about the text. Like, mm-hmm. hey kids, the Bible can be fun, but <laughs> yeah, there, but there's it, something about it that, that invites engagement, not, not yeah. like, I don't know, like lawfulness from the scripture wagging its finger at you saying you must do this. But there's a sense of like invitation to like, I don't know. There is. And and just, I'll zoom out. I'll zoom out to the big picture. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole bunch of stuff very well. 
oh, we try to make it do that, it, you end up frustrated. What it does do is it engages you in this conversation with a view to building up your wisdom and your godliness to begin to think like God. Hmm. And I've, I've come to, uh, just as I said, church history some reminds you of a junior high food fight. Sometimes the Bible does too. Hmm. There are actually contradictory ideas at war and, and people in their wisdom decided we're going to keep both views here and we're going to continue to engage with that tension for generations to come. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the New Testament, who is right, Paul or James? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but you, you have to, you have to read them both, you have to play them off. If they don't act, they don't agree. Yeah. Uh, and yet you have to engage with both of them and you have to start thinking. Uh, you, you can't just receive yeah. Here's the authoritative word. Uh, you, you've got to think about it. Think about it in the context of, of for their context back then, and then think about it in your context here. And I find is I can't find anymore the bright shining line between inspiration. Hmm, there's the text hmm. and interpretation. What do we make of it? Because these conversations that we have about them go all the way back through our church history, through Jewish history, and they go right back into the biblical text themselves. The conversation is already underway within the biblical text. It's not providing you a monolithic, here is the truth. It's pro it starts right off the bat with arguments. Uh, uh, two different conflicting accounts of the same thing smooshed together side by side, first one, then the other. Think about them both. Yeah, uh, and and this does not take away from from the inspiration of the text one iota. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not what what we've sometimes said it is. It is not here. Here God said His word. Thunk, here it is. Just yeah. look at it. He's inviting us into the conversation. Uh, you know, who are the people that God really likes? It's the people who argue with him. Hmm. Abraham says, says, wait, you're supposed to be a just God and you're, you're, you're about to do what? No, no, yeah. no, let's talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, that, that he's said to have been a friend of God. Hmm. I mean, Israel itself just means wrestling with God and it's not just, yes. well, this is a, an event that happened. And so I guess this is your name now, but it is a, yeah, a description right. of, of a wrestling people. Um, yes. Uh, I think even so, about, I, I've been thinking a little bit as we've been talking about um, what the oath um, that priests and deacons take at their ordination as it relates to scripture, because there's, mm -hmm. we're Anglican, so we got to bring in the, the prayer book. Right. But I think it, so it, it's, you know, I, I do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the word of God and to contain all things necessary to salvation. Mm -hmm. And I consequently hold myself bound to conform my life and ministry thereto and engage to conform to the doctrine, discipline, worship of Christ as this church has received them. So yeah. there's this sense of like, there's a submitting to scripture, but there's very little in there about, about this kind of like word of God hitting you like, like a hammer on the right. head, do this. It's, this has all the things we need. And I bind myself to this text as authoritative, mm -hmm. but there's very little that makes me sort of yeah. itch my wagon to the inerrancy project. In that, right. In that oath. Because, and, and let's be clear, uh, once you engage with this text the way God engaged with Israel, uh, you, yeah, it's not just all up for grabs, then it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Mm -hmm. uh, now you're really struggling with ideas and tensions. And, uh, and I would posit that's exactly what, what God wants us to do. Uh, an analogy I thought of is, uh, it is, I love classical music. I love jazz, mm -hmm. uh, but the scripture seems to function more like jazz than like classical. Yeah. And any classical musician among us will, will tell you that no, a score needs interpretation. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Trust me, we do, a, we do heavy duty interpretation. And then jazz takes it a step further 
And yeah, we read the score, but then we converse about those, about that music in real time as we're Mm -hmm. playing music. Yeah. And that, as I look back, that seems to be how scripture functions. Uh, Again, let's, let's go back to Genesis. Uh, So God, God out of the stuff of creation makes an image of himself and puts it in a garden. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. What does that know? turns out that means that's what you did back then to dedicate to consecrate an image that was going to go in a temple mm-hmm. you, you put it in, in a garden well now let's look at that whoa that's just set off the conversation here within the bible the rich multivalent image of a temple what is a temple a dwelling place of god prior to that we see that in the uh the creation myth is structured like a temple dedication all of the universe is is the place where God dwells and interacts with us. And now, how does the conversation go on? We're we're now these little image bearers, these little idols in the in the temple, images of God. Mm-hmm. And you look okay. Then the Tower of Babel. So it a, a, a contemporary scholar would say, well, it's an origin myth. It's a story to explain why the Babylonians and all our neighbors are such jerks and speak <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, it is that, but there's more to it than that. There's the story, oh, we built a, a ziggurat and tried to get, get God to, to you know, come live in it and he would have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a conversation that keeps getting taken up over and over again. During yeah. Exodus, we had this presence that, that traveled with us. We had a tabernacle that we would, carry around but when we got to the promised land we said hey we need we want a king like everyone else no no you don't need a king yeah okay fine you can have a king hmm. okay now we need a temple like everyone no 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 i'm not that kind of god you can't yeah i actually it. live everywhere you, you don't need to yeah, build me a no temple. no no we want a temple okay yeah. fine you can yeah. have a temple and god's glory came to dwell there but then uh oh but then but then that temple gets destroyed and, and there's an account of God in no uncertain terms, God glory leaves the building. Yeah. Come back from exile. Okay. We got to build a temple. Huh? No glory. Hmm. Didn't come back. What's the matter? We read the minor prophets. Oh, the temple wasn't nice enough. Okay. Let's spruce it up. Let's make a better. Huh? Still nothing. And then we get to Jesus time. Herod builds a really decent temple. Okay. No more excuse about it. Not being nice enough and still, here we are in exile and it's just not happening for us. Yeah. Does that mean, and Jesus talks about the temple being destroyed and sure enough it is. And then we ourselves are the temples of the Holy spirit there. It's whoa. Uh, that's a rich conversation. Mm-hmm. A lot of argumentation back and forth right there in the text. And, uh, and so going back to Genesis, uh, that's a heck of a lot more interesting than wondering, well, where was the Garden of Eden? I wonder if we can go find it. You know? right. <laughs> right. Well, and even in that, there's like Jesus entering, like entering Jerusalem from the, like coming back yeah. to Jerusalem the same yes. way God's presence left in Ezekiel. Yes, yes. And there's, and I, what's really helped me in the last few years thinking about the Old Testament and even thinking about our current time in this sense of like, you know, what is God doing? What does God want to do with all of this mess? The sense that like the Old Testament regularly has all these stories of mess and and no clear like, well, this is what, there's no moralistic Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. This is what you should have done. It's like, all right, well, the 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 God who persistently loves us will, will continue to engage. Mm-hmm. So like, fine, you want a temple? Okay, David, you can't make it, but but I can work with that. Like you want to, you want a temple. I can work with that. You want a King. You don't want a King. Fine. I'll give you a King. He's terrible. Well, I can work with that. I, I can, mm-hmm. God is basically consistently telling us we want bad things. And when we insist on them, he says, fine, but I love you too much to let, to, to let this go waste. Yeah. I'm going to continue to engage. And again, that is that dialogue. That's that, that's a different picture of, of the God who has a clear, linear story that he's telling and he's controlling all the chess pieces this is a god who is constantly in dialogue with us might i say like there's Mm -hmm. this he he's not responding in the sense that i i mean i believe god's outside of time and can can see all things but he's he's constantly giving and taking with us as we go um out of his like 
as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, like never ending, never giving up, always and forever love for us, right? Like, yeah, that's and a cool see, idea. That's, and we're still living in that story today. Yeah. Uh, and well, the thing is, what I'm going to posit here is kind of dangerous, and uh, you know, this may or may not be endorsed by by any any official uh, anything at all. So, <laughs> uh, but just hear me out because I found this really helpful. So you go back through like like what happened at Sinai. There mm-hmm. isn't even a clear account. They're contradictory accounts. Oh, God said a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm picturing Moses there frantically hammering on tablets. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. How many colors, <laughs> how, how many stones on the ephod? How, wait, what colors were they beating? Clink, 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 clink. Yeah. <laughs> okay, clearly that wasn't possible. Uh, other accounts, no, there wasn't any verbal content there. We just saw a big light or something, mm-hmm. or there was a noise, or what even happened? The accounts aren't even clear. Hmm. Uh, and yet, what emerges, contemporary scholarship, you know, that uh, uh, scholars believe that the, the Pentateuch was stitched together out of a bunch of different sources. You've got your J, your E, your P, and your D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all kind of conflict on what happened at Sinai and what exactly God said, you know. So you, you roast, you, you roast the, the Passover lamb. No, you boil it. Well, okay, you boil it over a fire. Well, duh, that doesn't helpful. How else would you have broke right. you have boiled water back then? <laughs> Uh, we're not getting a clear picture. And yet, look at, interesting, all those sources agree that God uh, has revealed himself uh, to Israel and that he expects something mm-hmm. of Israel by way of, of actual actions and behavior. And we're going to argue about what exactly that is and how it best applies in our situation today. Mm-hmm. But there's no disagreement that, that God has some, some, some pretty heavy duty imperatives. Yeah. There. So I, that's, that's an interesting way that modern scholarship can actually help us mm-hmm. uh, kind of get to, well, what, for example, look at what do the various sources agree on? Oh yeah. It's not anything goes. No, there's some heavy duty stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. So my big idea that I want, that's been helpful to me finally is, uh, Okay, what's the big idea in Christianity? It's the incarnation. That's the big new idea. Mm-hmm. God came and dwelled with us in the whole messiness and dust and dirt and uncertainty of human existence. And he was fully human. He fully participated in that. In the Gospels, we see a Jesus who sometimes gets irritable because mm-hmm. his body was hurting him. Okay. Yeah. And the brain is not just disembodied floating out there above the rest of the body. Right. Uh, and, and he doesn't appear to have always been omniscient. He seems to have not known stuff, got taken by surprise and dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would suggest, let us not hold the Bible above Jesus, above the mm. incarnation. Uh, and realize that the, the way the Bible came together, the way God reveals himself uh, in scripture is also participatory, interactive, dare I say, incarnational. Hmm. Uh, so uh, when, when God became a human, he didn't become the... Uh, the know-it-all, all-wise philosopher. He didn't become the all-powerful king. He didn't just come in and say, this is how it is. Uh, here's the rules, everyone. Hey. He continued to give us more difficult stuff to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that, that might sit uncomfortably with some people because, oh, well, I want certainty. And I think uh, trust in God is always uh, God in the, is always on offer. God always invites us to trust Him, but He has never offered us certainty. Yeah, that that right there is the essence of faith, and that's how we need to approach Scripture. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, and I, yeah, that 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 question about about certainty and, and faith, I think, um, I don't know. It's, it's, that's real helpful for, for me to regularly return to. I want certainty. I want control. I want to know all the answers so I can. Who doesn't. Right. Yeah. 
but that's uh, not what God's given us. That's not the offer that's on the table. Yeah. The offer is, is a God who is, who is faithful and deserving of trust and reveals himself to be faithful, um, but never on our terms. Right. And so it's important when we go to try to read the Bible, we understand that these, these writings are just like Jesus, fully human. Hmm. And, uh, and, and no one seemed to care to have them all make sense in the way that we moderns believe things should make sense. Uh, and in doing this, I've avoided what I think is the other modern reaction, which is then uh, to say, well, then it just doesn't matter. Make of it whatever you will. Right. No, you have to dive in deep. You have to engage. You have to think. You have to hold contradictory ideas in your mind and, and work through them and maybe and never come to a complete, uh, that's never a settled issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is how we grow in godliness. That's how we grow in wisdom. That's how we grow in our trust in God. Yeah. And, uh, and that is, that is not the way I learned to read scripture among the good evangelicals and fundamentalists who, uh, I love dearly because they refuse to let go of scripture and say, well, it just doesn't matter then. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very much on the same page with them. It's just that then their reaction to these challenges, I think ultimately is a failed one. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm saying that out loud, just as I'm saying that then I went to the, the, the mainline liberal Protestants and said, Oh, thank God. We don't have to deal with all that stuff anymore. Yeah. And you know what? Their solution was really just another modern uh, solution that, that failed but there is a third way here, but it involves us giving up that certainty. It, give, it, it requires us to trust God. And it means, and this is hard because uh, while, we, while we can speak with some certainty about what God expects from us, uh, it's complicated. And we don't ever get a weaponizable text that we can club anyone else over the head with. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to be willing to give up that power. I have sacred special knowledge that no one else has. Hmm. I know what's going on. No one else does. And I can tell you you're wrong. Hmm. Uh, God, that God does not give us that. Yeah. Well, this is, this is helpful. I, I hope this has created some hope in me and, and a, a re-encouragement to dive in to the text. Thank you, Bruce, for sharing this. Um, why don't I close and, with that? Uh, no, I don't want to cut you off if you have more. Oh, no, but go ahead. No, this is a good, this is a good point. All right. I, I mean, let me close with that colic that I referenced. Cause I think it, I think it has the stuff that I think it has all the, this stuff here. Um, okay. so let, let's pray. Blessed Lord who caused all Holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.